Search Talk Live with search engine optimization and marketing expert Robert O'Haver, powered by the Robert Palmer family of companies. All right. Welcome back to another episode of Search Talk Live. My name is Robert O'Haver. I am your host of Search Talk Live. We are a digital marketing podcast where we talk about everything from that has to do with digital. It could be search engine optimization, search engine marketing, paid search, content marketing, social media. I mean, really, you, you name it, we cover it <laughs> uh, for the most part. Um, you can listen to us on Sprecher, iTunes, Play Store. We're on the iHeartRadio nationally broadcasted. Uh, you can search there by looking up the Palmer Radio Network. Uh, we're on that. And, uh, yeah, visit our website. Please sign up for our newsletter so you can find out what's coming up in the show. We uh, we send out a uh, post every week on the coming up-and-coming shows. And today with my is my co-host, again, Matt Weber. Didn't call you Blake this time. <laughs> <laughs> Matt Weber of Roar uh, Internet Marketing Company. Hey, great to be here, Robert. Welcome. Fabulous day, and I'm really excited about the show. Anybody who's listening and has an interest in organic search yeah. is going to get a lot out of this show because we're going to take their knowledge to the next level. Yeah, I think so, too. I mean, uh, there's just so much to talk about. <laughs> but uh, our guest today is uh, no other than Upasna Gotham. That's right. We I got, got it. it right, yeah, of <laughs> Geek right. Powered Studios. How's it going? Awesome. How about you guys? Good. Doing good. really well. Welcome to the show. If you could, for our listeners that don't know about know you or know about you, could you tell them a little bit about yourself and your background? Yeah, absolutely. And first and foremost, thank you guys so much for having me uh, this afternoon. I've been looking forward to this um, for a while. And just, you know, you guys have done a great job with, with this um, podcast and really grown it into like a, you know, amazing educational resource for our, our industry. So mad props to you guys. Thank you. Um, thank you. So, um, yeah, I am the digital marketing manager at Geek Powered Studios here in Austin, Texas. Um, I was brought on here to kind of craft the holistic digital strategies um, for our SMB clients um, and really with the focus and core focus on um, organic search. My background is pretty um, diverse as far as academically and professionally. And I, you know, I kind of started um, my professional career in a very different field um, of biomedical sciences and, and pharmaceutical science um, because that's what I studied in school. And um, from there, I kind of uh, went into the digital marketing and tech arena just because I saw that, you know, there are a lot of parallels that could be drawn between the two as from as far as from an analytical standpoint goes. And, um, you know, at that time in college, there there was just not an opportunity for that. So I kind of finished school, started working as a lab rat, and then slowly made my way into um, digital. And um, I worked at uh, Rockfish for a few years where I worked on enterprise accounts as the associate director of search strategy. Um, I worked for a startup uh, here in Austin after that for a little while, um, a software as a service company. And um, I am now here at Geek Powered and kind of translating the um, strategies that I learned and executed across um, larger projects and kind of scaling them down to really work on a local scale um, for nice. the businesses around Austin. So it's, um, yeah, it's, it's a really fun and different ball game, um, but uh, really enjoying it. And um, 
I think uh, I, I have a little bit of a different outlook on um, search because I just because of my background is a little more analytical. And so I, I really like to bring in those insights and perspectives to my work. So you're a data geek like us. <laughs> oh yeah, but just not in the lab anymore. Thank yeah, God. Yeah. So also with you, you have John Leo Weber as well, right? He's going to uh, bring his insights as well. Well, yeah. So actually, uh, Upasta and I were presenting at a uh, marketing conference this morning. It's called uh, Designing for Digital. It's a really cool conference for uh, libraries and universities uh, downtown Austin. And I said, Poss, you want to get some lunch after we speak? And she said, no, I have to go do this podcast. Uh, you should join me on the podcast. And I said, why not? So I'm here um, and I'm happy to jump in and, and help out where I can. Uh, did you get a free lunch out of it? No, I haven't eaten lunch. It's been a crazy day. I was going to order Uber Eats, but I forgot to do that too because I was busy working. But uh, Uber Eats. maybe after this, I'll get some tacos. <laughs> All right, so um, let's get down into it. Uh, before we do that, though, if you have questions that you want to ask us live on the air, you can go to Twitter and type hashtag search talk live in Twitter, and we will answer your questions, uh, one of us, live on the air. All right, let's dig into it. So what we're going to talk about today is semantic search. And for our listeners, if you could, Apasna, explain what that is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm going to start. I mean, there are so many different levels of explanation for this. So I'm going to start with the kind of foundational um, definition that is more specific to um, a, a, a universal audience, which is it's basically um, and ultimately used for optimizing our content to better serve the user and by understanding that what we're really trying to do is not just optimize it, but increase its content relevance. So, and we know, and, and that is due largely and majorly in part to just how search has evolved over time and being much more um, user intent driven as opposed to keyword driven now. Um, we're not any, we're, we're no longer satisfied with just, you know, plugging in a keyword in the search engine and then looking through a bunch of results before we finally get to the information we're looking for. Um, there, uh, you know, it's now shifted into this long tail specific um, and very targeted type of language, but that's also very conversational. Um, and attached to that is this very heightened sense of urgency. Um, and so, I mean, if you think about how we search, um, meaning just, you know, you and I normally, how we search for things that we need on a daily basis. I mean, when was the last time that you just type in something as basic as restaurant Austin or um, oil change uh, and then you just hit search? I mean, that nobody searches like that anymore because the devices we're using today have made it easier for us to search for all of this type of um, stuff just at the spur of the moment, um, even on the go. And we've gotten accustomed to the search engines answering our very specific questions. And um, Google does a great job of serving up very specific answers to our very specific questions. So instead of typing in something like restaurant Austin, you know, I would probably type in something now like best vegan tacos in Austin or late night Tex-Mex delivery in Austin. And again, looking for something very specific, knowing that I can get a very specific answer. 
So how does, how does Google make that work? What's the connection to that with how Google's now putting out results? Exactly. Uh, yeah. So that's um, kind of where it gets kind it's, I, I, I think people understand it as obscure, but there's actually a really objective mathematical process to how it processes that type of query um, or these types of queries. So we know that, for example, those two queries I gave as an example, best vegan tacos in Austin, um, late night Tex-Mex delivery, like none of those were, uh, none of those queries even contain the word restaurant, but the search um, engine can recognize the intent and serve up relevant results around restaurants. So we know that the uh, algorithm and the search engines weren't always that st- at, weren't always that sophisticated, and they're still working to keep up with users. And this is, you know, how Rank Brain became um, a part of the system now as well. Um, but going back to your question, what changed? How does it work now? Um, and that is done by something called latent semantic indexing. Um, and so that you know, I, I thought a lot about like, okay, I knew I wanted to talk about this topic, but how can I really distill it? So A, it doesn't scare people away. Um, and B, how can it be presented and talked about in a way that, you know, makes kind of intuitive sense and not just kind of um, regurgitating, you know, some mathematical concepts and equations. So how does semantic search function. It functions through this process of latent semantics and of latent semantic indexing, um, very often abbreviated LSI. So we know that semantics is this really old linguistics term and a discipline of linguistics that specifically studies relationships between words in sentences and their actual meanings within those sentences. And when we apply that to the internet, Um, it still kind of means the same thing and it kind of still functions the same way. So basically LSI, latent semantic indexing, is a text indexation and retrieval method that's used in the natural language processing system, which is something Google uses. And it's also known as the LSA, the latent semantic analysis. And it's based on this principle that these phrases and words and terms that frequently occur together tend to have similar meanings. So that's really where the crux of um, semantic search um, lies. And I think this is an elevation from the way that some presenters and experts would use the phrase semantic search previously. By the way, I'm thrilled that we're making S.I. Hayakawa relevant again. But three (laughs) years ago, we would say semantic search is Google's ability to know that auto sales is equal to car sales or that plastic surgeon is equal to cosmetic surgeon. Now what we're talking about is that this is really more of a study about the hidden intent into the combination of words, correct? Absolutely. Um, You nailed it and probably said it better than than what I was trying to. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But and, and not that. And yes, like two, three years ago and even now, I think people are trying to explain it in that way. And it's absolutely not wrong. It that is. Um, how it functions and and the purpose that it serves. But if we really try to take time to understand how that um, how that indexing and that mathematical algorithm kind of works, um, I think we'll have an even heightened understanding 
um, of how we can compose, you know, content and, you know, become even more targeted in our messaging um, and strategies. So I'm going to try my best now to get into that really scary part, um, which is about how the actual indexing process works. And I'm not going to use numbers. I'm going to try to use a real world type of analogy instead. But um, to give a little more information around this um, and to kind of set it up is, so latent semantic indexing is what that text indexation and retrieval method is that is used in natural language processing, as I mentioned before. It's kind of the core system of um, the algorithm and, and how it serves up content. So that LSI, the latent semantic indexing, that itself is a mathematical algorithm that's based on this other system called single value decomposition, SVD. And that is what really illuminates um, and helps determine how those different keywords and phrases in massive collections of documents are related to one another. Um, and so, again, Google search engines use that latent semantic indexing um, through SVD, single value decomposition, to understand the meaning of hundreds, thousands of documents by analyzing the words and phrases and content present in that document. And so in a bird's eye view and like a 10,000 foot level, that indexing works by projecting this large um, multi-dimensional space down into a smaller number of targeted, if you will, dimensions. And when that happens, the keywords that are semantically similar all get clustered and bunched together and are no longer completely distinct. And that kind of allows the, the dimensions to become blurred or, or the, the boundaries of those dimensions to become blurred. And this is what allows LSI to go beyond just straight keyword matching, which is what we had before. Um, and so through that blurring of dimensional boundaries, it becomes this matrix. And the key step in LSI is decomposing that matrix um, using this technique called singular value decomposition. And the mathematics and the functionality of that transformation are like what I'm not going to get into in this podcast because sure. it is, uh, yeah, we can, I'm happy to have another one about it though, if you want, but. I've, um, <laughs> I've got some questions coming in and uh, from Twitter. Okay. Uh, Keith Good asks, uh, how can non-local businesses take advantage of conversational queries? Are they, what is it? What is that word? I can't see it. Predominantly local intent. I'm sorry. Could you just repeat that? How can non-local businesses take advantage of the conversational queries? Are they predominantly locally intent? Local intent? Uh and, and absolutely, um, I that's a yes and no question. Um, for the first part of the question, um, you know, it, this is not specific to local search at all. Um, this is looking at organic search um, as a complete system, and this indexing semantics doesn't apply to just a particular segment, like just local or just SMB. So, how can a non-local um, entity, you know, contribute or become engaged in um, this 
conversational or natural language search, well, that goes right back to just understanding semantics, right, and the content. And so if you're working for, you know, or if, if you're working for a client that's, um, you know, perhaps a large um, uh, tech company that focuses on something very, very specific, for example, and this is actually a real life uh, client uh, example that um, I, I came across a, a couple months ago, that this particular client was super niche um, and offered this very um, um, enterprise solution for Amazon Web Services. And they were having such a hard time targeting, um, you know, the right audience and, and bringing in any sort of relevant leads because, because of the lack of kind of uh, diversified content. And to me, diversified content is kind of synonymous to natural language search and understanding intent. So it's thinking about, okay, here's, I'm offering this enterprise solution with Amazon Web Services. Well, the people looking for it probably don't even speak the same language. So how do we translate these things into the different languages using different words? And then the good thing is with latent semantic indexing is that Google is sophisticated enough and is becoming more sophisticated where it can group these um, types of words together and build relevance and authority. And that's kind of what I was um, just about to get into. Um, Keith, I, I hope that kind of answers your question. Um, well, just a real world, it just a little bit more. Let's say uh, somebody out there listening to the show is doing the SEO for a company that does security products. You know, back in the day, a couple months ago, he might've had a page on his website about they do security cameras for jewelry stores. And then another page that they do security systems for this other application because they wanted to rank for security cameras and security systems. With LSI, we're now able to group those together on one page because semantically we can connect the intent of those two terms. Are we getting close to the the end result of this? Um, I think that's kind of the very first, you know, um, initial step into it. So, and and then it's taking that and continuing to branch out and maybe building a, like a web of topics um, and and content that can be um, that can stem off of those topics. So, how else can we branch off of? you know, those key root terms. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I, I prefer to say, I prefer to use the word topics instead of keyword because I just, I think it really, um, it really narrows your focus down when you say keyword, but when you say topic, it, that really now starts to um, let you, you know, open up more doors and really think about semantics when you say topic, right? Yeah, that's so, a great observation. That's a great way to help people see it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Hey guys, it's John. I wanted to uh, jump in here because uh, Keith's question kind of spurred me to think of a tool um, that's pretty cool and I thought I'd share it. Um, it's called answerthepublic.com. Um, I'm sure you guys have seen it before, but this is a great way to kind of um, visualize how these different semantic searches work together. Um, so to use your, um, your example, I punched in security systems as the keyword. Mm-hmm. It'll give you a huge web of different semantic type searches based around that one keyword. So we probably have, I don't know, let's see, 600 um, phrases or search phrases that apply to security cameras 
uh, based on the type of word that they start with. So we have how, are, where, which, who, what, when, why. So for example, uh, there's questions like, which security camera system should I buy? Uh, which home security system to get? And then there's others like, um, who regulates home security systems, right? So with that one keyword, security systems, we can uncover an entire map of different ways that people are searching for these things. And to go back to Keith's question, this doesn't just apply to local, obviously, because there's more who or what. Um, like I know Keith works for IBM. Um, I actually know Keith, he's a friend of ours. Um, but I'm sure there's questions like, what does IBM stand for? You know, who founded IBM? What's the story behind Watson? Um, there's all these kind of conversational type semantic searches that you, if you get these in front of your content teams and your content marketing teams, um, you can kind of have a gold mine of content ideas to, to start developing to get in front of these audiences. Matt, with your question, were you, were you trying to say relationships between words? Is that what you were more trying to say? Yeah, so I think what we've done here in this part of the conversation is say, you know, the distinction between different phrases that, you know, a long time ago we would optimize around, right, right, maybe right. through different content has become merged a little bit as Google knows the, the similarities. And now we're really talking about them rather than in keywords, rather about topics. Right. And that's a great change for the listeners to, to embrace, to think mm -hmm. about SEO more about topics than keywords is a so great So like security away. camera and security system, they have a relationship. Yes, in, so to speak. <laughs> exactly. Um, they are kind of two, um, you know, entities that, that share a relationship and that, you know, the search engine started to use this whole LSI system um, to order information into more digestible, understandable kind of pieces of text and ideas and topics. And everything that we find or search for on the web now is interconnected and it ultimately is like this cycle that continues to help Google serve up better results. Mm. Uh, and just kind of going back to um, the actual um, process of the indexing, I just want to kind of touch on one other thing really quick is um, it's it you would think it's kind of a bad thing right that there is this blurring of boundaries of you know of of these dimensional topics and and it a lot and that's what how LSI and and that system works is by you know kind of grouping things and overlapping so you're actually kind of parsing information out but in this instance it makes topics stronger and more and more relevant if you have more of them grouped and clustered together. So that's where how you craft your content really comes into play, right? It's yeah. so much stronger if you talk about restaurant in the work and, you know, using terms like cafe and happy hour and um, breakfast and bistro and takeout and delivery. Like Google knows all of these things are um, semantically, um, related yeah. and when it that that overlap and clustering you know makes your content actually stronger so that's a huge dive like it's a huge um evolution from where it was before where it was so it was only keyword focused you type in this keyword and that is what you get and i think we actually just kind of uncovered the goal of lsi right because i'm right. sure um, the people who have been in this industry for a while uh, remember 
like, I don't know, even like six or seven years ago, you would have a website about shoes that SEO was working on. And at the bottom of the website, it would be like very dark gray text on a black background. And it would say black shoes, white shoes, Nike shoes, shoes, Nike. And it would have every single version of that keyword. Um, and back then that worked because the way the algorithms kind of use that data is that the more a keyword showed up on a page, the better results the, the rankings had. But now um, Google is kind of forcing our hand to say, hey, more keywords, one unique keyword over and over again is not as important or not as quality right. as a page that's very contextual and has other um, you know, important content around it. So what we've got here is now that Google is kind of forcing us to think less about stuffing keywords and more about how these keywords work within bigger keyword phrases and between bigger ideas uh, and kind of bigger user questions. Well said. Let's move on to, uh, let's see, voice search. Yeah, let's. Um, you know what, I think that, that that's a great segue to kind of where we are, you know, where search was and, and mm -hmm. where we are now and, and where it's going and semantics, you know, are a driving force of that. Um, and kind of, you know, to, to move into that, into that topic, it's, you know, this text re retrieval system that, you know, is LSI and, and how it functions, I mean, is, is so strongly um, influenced or is going to influence how we optimize um, and can better optimize and target now that voice is such a, a instrumental component of our daily life even. Um, and well, we... I'm sorry, yes. Boss Knight, before we get into this, let me go, we uh, have to give a word for our sponsors. Sorry. Yeah. Nope. <laughs> Online PR is something every company should take advantage of because it creates buzz around your business. Press releases are a great way for your company to announce new product launches, company milestones, new partnerships, or even up-and-coming events. The hard part is knowing which press release distribution service to use that has an effective distribution at a price that fits your budget. Well, I have the answer. For as little as $39, PRUnderground.com guarantees your press releases to be on Google News, DigitalJournal.com, social media outlets, and an additional 50 websites and blogs. PR Underground was ranked number two in user satisfaction out of all the other press release sites by G2 Crowd. This is one of the tools I recommend you add to your marketing tool belt for PR, marketing, and SEO at a price any company can afford. Go to PRUnderground.com. That's P-R-U-N-D-E-R-G-R-O-U-N-D.com and send out your next press release. Enter the code SEARCHTALKLIVE and get 20% off your first press release. Find the true value of your home when you log on. HomeValue.com Search Talk Live is sponsored by the Robert Palmer family of companies. Check out robertpalmercompanies.com for more information. All right, we're back. Uh, Pasna, um, those of you just tuning in, by the way, we are talking to a Pasna Gotham. I messed it up, didn't I? No, you got it. Upasna okay. Gotham. Okay. I was so afraid of that because I butcher people's names like crazy. But anyway, we are talking semantic search, and we just got into the section of where we're talking about voice search and how it's kind of a game changer. Yeah, Alexa's all over. Tell us how this is going to affect us. All right. So, 
I mean, Alexa is one, you know, great example of how it's becoming more integrated in, into our daily lives and kind of even more, I mean, as, as search marketers and, and, and digital marketers, we kind of understand, um, you know, the the value of the data that comes from it and, and maybe how, you know, to um, uh, how SEO parlays into that. But it was, uh, as John mentioned, um, we were at a conference earlier today speaking um, about this topic as well, but to a, a, a very academic audience and, you know, kind of explaining to them that, you know, all of these things that you use like Gmail and Alexa or Nest, you know, I mean, um, the amount of data that what they're doing is kind of crazy and scary, but great for us is collecting all of this information to ultimately better target us as users um, for content and what to serve up. So again, all of those even um, different um, kind of disciplines that Google um, works in and the different products and services they offer and now getting into voice search is all of them are so, so strongly driven by semantic search because that is really the core of their entire um, system is this uh, natural language processor. And so um, with this new frontier of voice search through virtual assistants, especially has, has really come to the forefront. Um, and, in, and in a way that we're still trying to understand and, um, you know, we can really attribute a lot of you know, how we write maybe semantic content and conversational content into how that could affect um, processing of voice search. And John has done some really awesome in-depth um, uh, research and, and writing on this topic. So uh, I'm going to have him kind of speak to, you know, like the rise of voice search and and, and where it is now. Okay. Yeah, so um, voice search is really taken off over the last, I'd say, year and a half, right? Like we first started seeing it emerge with um, Alexa. Well, I guess Siri was kind of the first big one, but um, I don't think Siri has a, a ton of utility yet. Um, I don't know if you guys use that regularly, but it, it doesn't really provide much value. She turns um, on my lights really well. Yeah, right. Oh my God. I have Google Home and it runs my entire house. <laughs> So for Siri, most of the time you have to end up pulling up your phone to click on a link that she tells you she found right. anywhere. So kind of <laughs> but um, I do have to kind of give props to Amazon for really kind of pushing their Alexa technology um, and kind of putting this system of search onto the um, kind of you know public's mind because we have these things in our home now that really Alexa doesn't do a whole lot more than um, home automation, and it's a good utility for um, Amazon, you know, you can say, add black V-neck t-shirts to my shopping list and she'll add it right into your cart for Amazon Prime. Uh, but beyond that, there's a not, not a lot going on there, um, which is why I'm really mostly excited about Google Home, as you mentioned. Um, so Google Home is similar to, to Amazon Alexa, where you can um, have it, you know, turn on your, um, your lights and, and program your thermostat and all that kind of stuff but it's also connected to a real search database. So you can ask it questions. Um, you can say, you know, where's, you know, where's a, the best coffee shop in South Austin? And uh, generally it will give you a pretty good uh, result. Um, 
Now, how those results and how that search algorithm works is still kind of being figured out by a lot of people in our industry. Uh, but to me, it appears that a lot of the signals are based on kind of locale uh, as well as uh, reviews. So uh, as far as like local searches, if you were to say uh, Google Home, you know, who's the best electrician in Dallas? Um, it would probably pull from some type of local database cite the reviews because you said best uh, and then try to use that information to give you a result. And I think the home gives you like three results, right? Yes. Um, so that's one of the other big kind of scary things about voice search is that there's this theory that it's going to become zero sum SEO, right? Like right now, if you're on desktop and you search best electrician in Dallas, you'll get, you know, your four paid ads, you'll get, uh, maybe three map pack results, and then you'll get, you know, seven or nine organic results that are pushed all the way to the bottom of the page. The the kind of fear that I see resonate in some search marketers is that if we have more and more voice search, and you you know, let's say it goes to like a watch, right? And you can talk to your watch and say, hey, who's the best electrician in San Antonio? It will respond to you and say. I found the best electrician with the best reviews. Would you like me to call them for you? Right? Like you only get one answer now. There's no second place. There's no third place. There's no four ads. It's like just that one result. But at the same time, I don't think that's reasonable because what does Google want to do? They want to give you options and they want to serve you paid ads. And if they're giving one result, then they kind of lose their position there. Also, I mean, look at it. If, if it was to come to light like that, you're literally, if you're ordering a product, skipping the whole conversion funnel. You're just going straight from yep. product to order. You know, it's yeah. The, the big disruption may be here's where the serial latency effect may come in because when it's a voice search, which two are you going to remember? Right, the first and the last, right? Because you don't have the ability to re-review. You don't have the ability to read again. Right. So there may be a benefit for you to rank third in that listing rather than first. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I haven't thought of it like that, but. Um, yeah, it's kind of scary to think, uh, you know, when that major shift changes from the way we're just asking the computer to return its results and, and who's the who's the person architecting how those results come back. It's it's whoever's working on that technology. And it won't necessarily be Google forever, right? right. I think we kind of take for granted that Google is like the search marketing platform. But if someone can do it better and we can ask questions and get better answers, it's possible that other kind of technologies will take its place. Oh, don't tell me that. I just bought their stock. <laughs> Watch Bing, the underdog, come back and you know, come well, up with something. But um, stock, if, uh, if I had $10 million right now, I can tell you where in this industry I would invest it. Go for it. It would be voice search for cars. Oh, right? yeah. Because how stupid is it that I can't talk to my car while I'm driving, right? It's the ultimate place where we need to be hands-free. And there's a screen already there that's connected to the internet. And there's an opportunity for advertisers like us to get in front of those people. I should be able to ask my truck, like, hey, truck, you know, where's the nearest car wash? And it should take me there. It should tell me. <laughs> All right, John, you could be really popular here. You have a stock symbol you want to share regarding this? <laughs> I don't have $10 million. But if you have $10 million, get with me and we'll find a company that's working on this because we need to be able to serve ads inside cars. That's what I'm saying. Hey, hey John, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm oh, sorry. We had a question come in from Keith again. Um, it says, 
With the recent executive order to allow ISPs to sell search info, should we be, should we be more afraid of voice search? <laughs> uh, I mean, why voice search and not all the other? Yeah, all the other searches. Too, right? Right. I mean, <laughs> I, I think it's pretty much, you know, either it's either a lose lose or a win win. I mean, at, at this at this point, I mean, I, I personally have just kind of been of the mindset that um, there is no pure privacy on online, and this is just kind of legitimizing what's been going on for yeah. Uh, Google's been doing it for years. Time. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and and not to justify it, or I, I personally don't believe in it um, ethically, but. Um, as far as, you know, like, what are you supposed to do? Um, I don't know. Don't go online. Don't voice search. Like, I, Live which under is, a rock. <laughs> exactly. Like, what are you supposed to do? Um, it's, it's, and I think it's going to be something that's more of a, I mean, it, I think it's meant to be and, 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 you know, something that's more of a play for, um, for advertisers really. Um, and, and maybe marketers, but, I I don't I don't really know what the answer to that. I don't think any of us can really say, you know, do X, Y, and Z. Yeah, there are some ways to get around it. Absolutely. But I mean, and, you know, set up this VPN or, or set up this network like, I, sure, that might help. But guess what? The majority of the people in the United States who have Internet don't even know what that means or what the implications yeah. of it are. So... I, I mean, hope I, that Google never shares that information. Yeah. They've well, been pretty I, good at privacy. I kind of feel like if you're only starting to get scared about privacy now, yeah. you've kind of missed the past 10 years. <laughs> true, true. But what kind of what's possible that before is that if you're signed into a Gmail account, if you're on a Chrome browser, on a Chromebook computer, oh. on Google Fiber Internet, uh, there's a reason that Google invested all their money to those other things, right? Google could have made a ton of money just staying as a search engine, but they built a computer, they you know developed a browser, they developed an internet service. It's not because they want to make more money on those things. It's not because they want to provide the best you know email platform possible. It's so they could collect data on you. And, right. and at the end of the day, that's been happening for 10 years, and it's been happening aggressively. So I think if you're starting to get scared now, then you know, you might need to look around and, and see what else is collecting data on you as well. Yeah. Hey, John, you gave a great tool for answerthepublic.com. What other tools can you give our listeners to help them understand whether they're succeeding with some of their semantic search efforts? What might they look for in their Google Analytics? How can they open up the world of semantic search for themselves? Sure. Well, I think the best place to start would be uh, Google itself. Uh, I would take your keywords or your keyword phrases that you you know, traditionally want to show up for and then start trying to find um, kind of question type queries around those and see if your content shows up. Um, a really, really easy win for people, and this is both organic and paid, uh, is to use near me keywords and add those into your campaigns. So in your AdWords campaigns, you, you, if you're a chiropractor, you should be bidding on the keyword chiropractor near me because A, it's going to be a cheaper click. Um, and B, there's going to be less competition because a lot of people haven't kind of tuned into that. Um, on the organic side, you should also be optimizing your kind of location pages for near me searches. Um, that's a really, really easy, low-hanging fruit. Um, if you actually go into uh, 
uh, Google Trends and type in near me as a, uh, a Google Trend, you will see this ridiculous explosion of an increase in searches for it, um, which kind of illustrates you know the bigger picture of what we're talking about. I think near me is kind of the, the lowest hanging fruit in this whole in this whole scenario. And so, uh, semantically, tell us about that. So we're not going to put the words near me on our pages. Semantically, how can I tell Google that my business is located physically near where the searcher is? Well, it's funny you say that because I would actually encourage you to put near me in, in your title tags for like a location page um, or yeah. you know, perhaps sprinkle it into your text. Yeah, I don't see why not. Um, wow. It's kind of a literal interpretation of how that works, but um, it definitely won't hurt you. Uh, but the other, the other, you know, important things are really strong local citations. If you're not running local citation campaigns to kind of show your um, geo-targeting and where you're located specifically, um, then you're missing a huge opportunity because, as we know, you know, search is so hyper-connected um, to location now. Uh, so local, um, local, if you're doing any kind of link building still as an SEO, uh, I would encourage you to really hyper-focus your link building locally. Co-citation. Yeah, the more local, you know, news organizations and charities and events, that kind of stuff that's linking to you is going to have some uh, value there. And then the big one that I've been pushing at our company here, Geek Part Studios, um, is review generation. And it's not not because this is something new, but this is kind of emerging as the one signal that can't be gamed. I guess that anything could be gamed, right? But it's the one signal that um, actually has a one to five rating that's public. So Google can actually pull these results and say, this company is the best um, rated company based on all these results. And um, that's really important to semantics because if you're doing kind of voice searches for local stuff, then highly rated or highly reviewed businesses are, are going to get an advantage. And, and that's just a fact. There's no way around that. Mm -hmm. And I think that ties in directly to a very common semantic um, query that comes along of, you know, what's the best, you know, restaurant or what's the highest rated, um, you know, coffee shop or and then you tag on some sort of um, geotag of near me or a zip code. I mean, you, you're including like all of those elements and you have this really specific, um, you know, location based query now and I mean, that is, and, you know, how do you serve up um, relevant, um, you know, uh, answers to that? It's going to be through, you know, one big part of that is reviews through MatPack. So sure. um, it's kind of a combination of all of like the semantic topics plus location plus the type of modifier that you're using, for example, like near me or best, um, the, that type of language. Mm -hmm. And, and the funny thing is if you, like, erased everything you know about SEO and, and organic search marketing and you did a search for best Italian restaurant in Austin, would you want to see the website that got, had the best SEO or hired the best SEO company? Or would you want to get the, a result for the, the Italian restaurant that had the best reviews from real people? I mean, if you gave me those two options, I would tell you I want real reviews from real people. And that is a super, super strong signal in, in local marketing. Yeah, would you also say that uh, another low-hanging root, fr uh, root fruit <laughs> type of thing would be uh, get those questions that people are asking and have a Q&A on your site? Yeah. Absolutely. 
Yeah, that's kind of one of the the first things I like to do when I'm, we're expanding a content strategy is get with a client and ask them like, what are the questions you always get from customers? And this solves kind of two problems. One, um, you can point the customers in the right direction for more information if, and you can kind of avoid these ongoing questions that you get over and over again. And two, you're developing a lot of good contextual content on your website to, to really serve organic searchers. And this is how I kind of position our own organic strategy at Geekheart Studios. Um, you know, we'll get questions from clients about a specific thing. Like, here's a, here's a real specific example. We had a lot of clients calling in and saying, I've been searching for my PPC ad and I'm not seeing it, which, you know, prompts me to answer this question over and over and over again as more clients ask it. <laughs> The logical response is to write a blog about why you shouldn't search for your own PPC ads and kind of the reasoning behind it. And that blog actually brings in some pretty good organic traffic to our website. Um, you know, what the value of that traffic is, I don't know. But that's just kind of a, an illustration of how you can use client questions or customer questions to develop your strategy. Yeah, the caution there is clients think of FAQs as SAQs should ask questions, right? Here's what they should ask, and they come from a sit. They don't really think about it from a what do people actually ask, and that's where that tool you gave John is really valuable. Is those are the exactly. questions that people are asking? Yeah, yeah. And the other thing is, uh, clients don't want to read my rambling three thousand word blogs about. <laughs> I can't. They're so rude. I can't believe it. What to expand on that one? Um, thing that we do to help clients digest that information maybe a little bit better um, is something we start off every project with. And this is something I um, was taught and, and learned um, as my very uh, beginning SEO days um, at a small agency and then at Rockfish. And I kind of brought it here into Geek Powered. And it's um, a deliverable and, and piece of research uh, document that we call a need state analysis. And that really allows us to uncover what those questions are that um, the client, their, their um, ideal uh, consumers are asking online. And that is all driven by semantic search. Um, and, you know, in, in a nutshell, what this document does is allow us to use consumer um, insights and behaviors online to group um, you know, high volume or uh, no, no, I'm sorry, not high volume, high interest and high intent queries into topics, right. um, also known as need states. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that, it, that there's been a lot of overlap and usage of the term persona as well um, in this in this discussion, but um, kind of gravitated away from using that because it's it's a little more vague and based on demographics, whereas uh, um, defining a need state um, really truly you know defines um, what that person is looking for at a particular given time, and what we really focus on with that is top of the funnel. Um, topics and, and queries that are being searched for within a particular vertical um, and kind of like pulling all the way back to the beginning of the path to purchase cycle to figure out, you know, in that initial research and discovery phase, mm -hmm. um, when I'm just looking for, 
you know, what are the best tacos in Austin? You know, and I'm not I'm not committed at that point. You know, what 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 are all the different ways you can ask that question or what are the other topics around, you know, that idea? Um, And so grouping those into categories, um, which, you know, like I mentioned, we call need states here really allows us to um, kind of design a blueprint for our entire strategy going forward based on strictly based on understanding what those questions slash queries um, are because consumers and searchers can ask, you know, the same question in a hundred different ways. Yeah, That's all semantics, right? I mean, how do we uncover what those things are? And yes, we know that talking about it in different ways and just ex- how we talked about how LSI, um, latent semantic indexing works, that, you know, you talk about some things, they'll overlap, they'll become stronger topics. But what if you spent more time really trying to understand and uncover what those questions are, what are similar questions that are really high level? Again, at this point, there's no commitment on the end of the um, at the end of the um, consumer very top of the funnel, and you catch them at that point of research and discovery, gain their trust, and then hold their hand down the path to purchase cycle. You know, all your uh, food examples are making me hungry, by the way. <laughs> but, um, Posh, you've got a background in medical sciences, and you've actually applied some of your research and clinical methodology to your optimization methodology. Can you give us a couple seconds on that? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, this need state um, analysis that we conduct is a part of that. Um, I've, I I love talking about and understanding the process for SEO, um, which is an ongoing one, of course, but using the basic, you know, scientific method to kind of draw um, parallels to that, where the first phase of the scientific method is that it's just observe, right? It's just understand and um, think about what is currently going on so you can make informed decisions and hypotheses later on. And then only do you begin to test. It's not like, okay, I got a new client, like I'm going to jump into this website and just tear it apart without doing any sort of um, research or sitting down with the client and understanding what their business objectives are and their financial goals are. Um, So, it, um, going back to your question is the, the main thing that I've seen and, and that I apply on a regular basis is that general, um, you know, process of the scientific method and how it is so similar to a successful SEO strategy because it involves, you know, step one, just observe and research and then make an informed hypothesis and then, you know, um, you can start to gather your resources and start to test. And then you take notes and observe what happened after your testing. And then you go into optimization. And based on what you see, you, you know, tweak your um, strategy. And then from there, it's this ongoing cycle. Um, and so I, I found that, you know, at least in my mind, um, that that makes a lot of sense. And it, it provides a real like organizational approach to something that, you know, for non-SEOs is sometimes scary and, and, and mystifying. Yeah, and it mm-hmm. takes the panic out of it. You, can, yeah. you know a lot of people that are listening to the show right now go, my boss comes into my office and he says, I just did a search and we're not on page one. And everybody <laughs> yeah. goes into full tilt panic mode. 
Yeah. But you, what you're advocating is, hey, we got to do a, a process. And if the very first thing it begins with is understanding what are we trying to achieve and observing actually where we are. Right. Exactly. And not even just, you know, um, I think it's a combination of um, what do we want to achieve um, and where are we now? Plus, you know, how is this segment behaving online? And then from there, uncovering you know, other pools of opportunity. Because for most clients um, that as digital marketers we work with, I look at their um, leads or their, um, not their leads, I'm sorry, but their general pool of clients in, in, in two kind of camps. One is you have this set of clients that are loyal, they know about you or they've heard about you and they know how to get to you. That's great. I mean, you know, if it were, it's kind of like word of mouth online. Um, but then, I mean, the whole goal of search at the end of the day is to open up doors for um, new opportunities and to uncover, um, you know, more pools of consumers who are asking questions that you have the answers to through a service or a product or a resource. Um, and so the only way to figure out how to connect what you know them the consumer and what they're asking to your website and your product or your brand or your service is to figure out how they're talking about it and so that is again um that is all semantics very well said we are running out of time here um i really want to thank you and john for coming on the show uh it has been a real pleasure and yeah thanks guys yeah, so we could we could probably keep going on for hours, honestly. Oh God, yeah, it's good I, stuff. <laughs> but one thing I did want to add to the, the Q&A thing was there's two other facts that we didn't talk about was, A, you could probably get that if it's done right in the instant answers. I mean, there's no guarantee there, obviously. but um, yep. And that could also end up in the, the voice, you know, the questions for, you know, voice search. Absolutely. And I think that's um, kind of an answer to a question you asked us. I think another great tool is, um, you know, really leveraging that instant answer feature um, and playing around with that to see, um, you know, what are other similar searches being conducted. Absolutely. Well, guys, thank you for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Um, You uh, if someone wants to reach you, they can reach on Twitter where uh, where. Um, Can reach me at. Upasna Gotham, U-P-A-S-N-A-G-A-U-T-A-M. Um, you can also reach us at Geek Powered Studios. At Geek Powered. Oh, just kidding. Just at Geek Powered. <laughs> <laughs> Love the name. And then your website is Geek Powered Studios? Yes, it is. And my Twitter is uh, at John Leo Weber, J-O-H-N Leo Weber with one B. Awesome. Thanks, man. Uh, we really appreciate you coming on the show. Hopefully... Uh, maybe we'll have you guys back on again. And hope you get some lunch soon. There's so much to cover. Yeah. <laughs> it's Let's, lunchtime, uh, guys. Yeah. <laughs> All right, everyone. I want to thank you for tuning into the show. Another great episode. Matt, thank you for coming in and, and joining me. Loved uh, it. It's been great having you here. And uh, tune in next week. Next week, who do we got? Let me pull it up. I always have it up and then I take it down because I'm trying to follow the Twitter jam. <laughs> But we have Jeff Beal next week of Mr. Marketology. He's an expert, and we're going to talk about marketing automation, which is pretty cool. Um, be sure to go to the website, to, uh, 
uh, sign up for the newsletter. Um, if you haven't heard, uh, if you'd like to catch up on previous episodes, you can go to Search Talk Live. You can go to iTunes, download it there. Uh, you can go to the Play Store if you're on an Android device. Uh, we are really literally on pretty much every platform to do with podcasting, SoundCloud, uh, and we're nationally broadcasted 24 hours a day, seven days a week if you're in the U.S. on iHeartRadio. Uh, you can catch us there if you really like the show. <laughs> yeah, and next week should be a big show because yeah. everybody who's writing a check to a marketing automation software and doesn't think they're getting enough out of it yeah. ought to tune in to next week's show. Oh, absolutely. I agree. Uh, so anyway, guys, thanks for your support. Um, if you have questions, again, you can send them anytime on Twitter, hashtag search talk live. We've been following that live during the show. I want to thank Michelle for live tweeting the show and also Gurn agency, Gurn agency, sorry, uh, for, uh, live tweeting and, uh, we'll see you guys next week. Bye-bye everybody. Online PR is something every company should take advantage of because it creates buzz around your business. Press releases are a great way for your company to announce new product launches, company milestones, new partnerships, or even up-and-coming events. The hard part is knowing which press release distribution service to use that has an effective distribution at a price that fits your budget. Well, I have the answer. For as little as $39, PRunderground.com guarantees your press releases to be on Google News, DigitalJournal.com, social media outlets, and an additional 50 websites and blogs. PR Underground was ranked number two in user satisfaction out of all the other press release sites by G2 Crowd. This is one of the tools I recommend you add to your marketing tool belt for PR, marketing, and SEO at a price any company can afford. Go to PRunderground.com. That's P-R-U-N-D-E-R-G-R-O-U-N-D.com and send out your next press release. Enter the code SEARCHTALKLIVE and get 20% off your first press release. Find the true value of your home when you log on. HomeValue.com Search Talk Live is sponsored by the Robert Palmer family of companies. Check out robertpalmercompanies.com for more information.